Oh, you gotta love a bit of Elton. Bit of Elton John to get us in the mood for Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. My name is Stephen Hesse. As always, welcome to Show 5, the fifth month of us doing Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. If you'd like to talk to us, you can via uh, Twitter, which is at underscore Mentally Sound, which our good friend Gareth is uh, monitoring on his phone in the corner. Uh, and also you can email us, which is studio at Gravity Radio Northeast. Is it northeast.co.uk or just Gravity Radio? Studio at gravityradio.co.uk. They keep changing their mind, folks. It's annoying. Uh, but yes, welcome along. Thank you so much for uh, listening to the show. I have a new co-host, which I'm delighted to introduce. Uh, can I please introduce the fantastic Mr. Richard Kirby? Hello, sir. How are you? I am awesome. How are you doing, my yeah, friend? Yes. Excellent. Thank you. No problem. Thank you so much for agreeing to be my course, because thank you to Sharon and obviously Carol, who were before. Um, but Richard is has a very interesting person, as I may say. So we were chatting about wrestling stuff before the show started, uh, which is uh, a good in my book of a person who I like. So that's pretty good. But um, but yeah, so um, uh, obviously it'd be great to get to know you, being the first time you've been on. So um, do you want to tell us just a little bit about yourself and, and all that kind of thing? Yeah, um, I've been involved um, in, in supporting uh, mental health charity for um, about 18 months now. Um, I decided to do some uh, some challenges last year um, after um, celebrating my 50th birthday. Um, and I set myself um, about 40 different things that I wanted to do to, uh, to, to try and raise money for, for mine. Um, so it was, a, it was a pretty intense year last year. Um, everything went, uh, went according to plan ultimately, but uh, got to meet some very interesting people and, yeah. uh, and get involved in some, some, some fairly um, unusual things. Um, I think probably the most, uh, the, the most interesting thing that I did, or the hardest thing that I did, was actually uh, get up on stage and do, uh, do a stand-up comedy routine. Um, safe, wow! Safe to say <laughs> that uh, whatever nerves I'm feeling now, um, you could have multiplied by about ten that particular night. <laughs> that, was a, that was a tough ask, um, yeah. but uh, incredibly rewarding. And um, a, little, a couple of months before that, um, I was persuaded um, to, to get into uh, to a boxing ring with uh, an unbeaten pro boxer, a, wow. a lad called Josh Leather from uh, from Gisborough, uh-huh. who. Uh, who was instructed not to hit me very hard and, yeah. uh, and didn't listen to the instructions at all. So uh, <laughs> uh, after about 40 seconds of being told not to hit me in the face, um, my mouth was bleeding. I think, but, uh, I think Pacquiao Mayweather had that uh, agreement as well. That, uh... Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, but they, they got considerably more money. I know, yeah, exactly, yeah, so, and you did, uh, but and you did yeah, it for a good cause, some, yeah. Some great experiences, yeah. and all, all for, uh, for a really important cause. Was that the, because the, 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 the context is, I mean, you described obviously all about the, the challenge, but you did this for charity for mine, wasn't it? And did, it was yeah. over. Um, I mean, I was um, originally diagnosed with, uh, with depression back in 2004. Okay. Um, probably something that I'd, I'd suffered from for considerably longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was a, a, a case that I, I just assumed that that was the way things were and that's the way that I felt and, and yeah. just carried on. Mm-hmm. Um, once there was something that, uh, that I could actually say, yeah, this is, this is who I am, this is, uh, this is what I have. Um, you know the recovery um, started and and continued and uh, after a, you know after about ten years or so um, and during which time I had some fantastic support from yeah. from my wife my parents my friends mm-hmm. it was it was a case of, uh, of of actually trying to do something the other way around and actually uh, you know do a few things to uh, to, to raise awareness and uh, and in inverted commas give something back that's really awesome so how much in total did you raise after that um it was it was over a thousand pounds that was raised fantastic last year. um I, I took a few months uh off at the start of this year but just yeah. started a new job and mm-hmm. 
but uh, I'm back doing some more um, bits and pieces for the Time to Change program now. So nice. I, I've, uh, I've got a few things lined up, of which um, sitting here talking to you is actually one of them. Um, yeah. To, uh, nice. to, to, again, just to use life experiences um, to uh, be prepared and willing to talk openly. And uh, hopefully somebody somewhere will uh, will sort of understand what what, uh, what I've been through and, and recognise something in themselves that makes them go and get some help. Well, obviously that's something we'll we'll talk about in the show a little bit more because a yeah. couple of questions has leaped into my head as you've been talking because obviously it's interesting to know every perspective people have about depression especially you know with the you know with you being a, an older person you know you, you imagine that you've probably had a lot to go through about people not understanding it yeah, and I'm various a, other things I'm only 33 but yeah uh, no but i'm saying <laughs> no but i'm saying that like you know but being slightly no but saying you've been of a different generation oh, oh my god <laughs> the way people take things um i'm like you, I, I just meant you were older than me yeah, that's all i meant um but uh, but um but yeah, so it's always interesting to know with the the slight difference difference because even even my brother who's only slightly older than me, you know, he's had different differing varying experiences. That's what I was referring to, and um, so we'll, we'll be talking about that a little bit later. But I just wanted to quickly ask you before we move on about because um, we've got a lot to, lot to, to 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 delve into the show is to ask you just what leads you to do all these challenges in the first place because it, it seems to it sounds like to me kind of bit like a bucket list. Is, is that um, fair to say? A few people have called it that. Um, yeah. I, I think if I was to do a bucket list, it, there, there might be a little bit more extreme. <laughs> Being hit it, by a boxer. Some, some, some beautifully sun, sunshine places around yeah. the world. But it, um, it, it did start with uh, with the fact that there was a big birthday coming up. Yes. Um, and it made me stop and, and, and sort of just have a, a think about what I'd done and what I still could do. And so it was. It was a, literally um, a, a series of ideas that came from just a, a quiet night with... Uh, with a, a bottle of something alcoholic, and, uh, mm -hmm. and and the ideas just stem from there. They grew. Um, people at the, the, the at work added to the list. Yeah. Um, until we got to about forty, at which point I thought that seems a reasonable amount to do in a year, and uh -huh. uh, we just took it from there. Some of them took a lot of planning, but the actual event itself was fairly quick. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them, um, or well, some of the others, were fairly physically challenging. Um, one of the ones that was really difficult for me was actually getting up on stage and, and uh, playing darts against uh, an international dart player Ooh. who was um, Glenn Durrant, who's now the, the, the BDO world number one. Um, nice. Not because he beat me. but uh, <laughs> um, Qualifier. Yeah, but uh, I, I hadn't thrown darts for, in public for 25 years because I used to get incredibly nervous. So mm. getting up and doing that in front of three, 400 people was a massive thing for me. And so it, more than a bucket list, it was more... Uh, a, a chance to prove a few things to myself and fantastic. prove that uh, the things I, I didn't think I could do, I actually could. That's fantastic. Awesome. Um, well, obviously, Richard is going to be around in the show for the entire duration, so we will uh, chat to him a lot more about his about his experiences with the challenges and obviously his, his own mental health, which he's touched on, which would be fantastic to get to talk to you about that. But we're going to move swiftly along because we've got a lot in the show. We've got, uh, we're going about to play the John Lawler Part 2 interview for Part 1, which we did in Show 4. Uh, we also have the mental health news coming up with Ricky. We've also got his segment about children's mental health. Uh, we also have um, Steve-O, who does talks about um, being a carer, so, uh, with his, talking to his mother about talking about his issues with mental health, and how someone who loves someone deals with that, which is obviously this is a common subject that we talk about on the show. So lots to talk about, but the next segment that we're going to be talking about is with John Lawler, which is uh, the NTW um, 
uh, chief executive. Uh, we did the first part, like I say, in the show before, and this is part two, talking about a variety of different issues. So uh, I'm really, really great interview. Part three is going to be in the next show. So this is John Lawler, part two interview uh, with Vicky and Becky doing the inter- interviews. And you're listening to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. Uh, how do you feel about the... Uh, division of services between urban areas and rural areas because obviously there are quite a lot of our um, contributors and listeners from uh, the rural areas of Northumberland and Durham who may feel that they are neglected or ignored in terms of services sort of tying in with what you're saying about do you centralise or localise especially for those people for whom travel may be difficult particularly if they are suffering from anxiety or other mental health conditions that sort of restrict their mobility how how does the trust see that and it's one of our big challenges actually because most of the population we serve are in quite urban areas newcastle sunderland etc um northumberland south of sunderland are our two patches that are very very rural obviously the north of northumberland is a particular challenge in berwick in annick etc but just give you a practical example of what the problem is the Northumberland um, commissioners, you know, the people that actually spend the money um, on health services, they don't get paid any more money because of the geography. Whereas if we were in an urban area, we would normally have three community mental health teams um, for the population that's in uh, Northumberland. We need four because of the geography. So it immediately puts a challenge into us in terms of how to deliver the service and to the people that pay for the service. Um, so it's probably true that we're not able to guarantee as um, accessible a service for people in very rural areas. Having said all that, what we are doing is trying to make sure that, it's an awful phrase, but the hubs where the services are provided from, uh, and I think probably the other thing that I would say is an awful lot of the people that we support, actually we support in their own homes. Um, so um, unlike, say, a hospital service, a lot of people actually, we go to them rather than them having to come to us. Um, but I think going back to the broader point, I think it is quite a challenge to make sure that what's available um, and how accessible it is to people who live in rural areas is at least the same, if not, um, uh, sorry, at least as good um, as what happens in urban areas. To give you a practical example, we're able to deliver services in um, Sunderland from just two locations, the vast majority of our sort of hospital-type services. Um, in Northumberland, if you wanted to make sure that services, people only have to travel about the same distance, you probably need about eight to ten locations. Um, so that's the, sort of, that's the issue, really, It's how do you get the balance right? Right, thank you. Um, before I hand over to Becky, who has some questions from our uh, presenting and editorial team and the wider radio group, I'd just like to sort of say, where do you see the NTW's greatest successes since you joined as Chief Executive, and where do you see the greatest need for improvement and development as you continue in the role? Well, first thing to say is that there's lots of great things, and I can't take any credit for it because I've not been here a year yet. Um, I think some of the things that we're really, really good at, and perhaps we don't shout enough about, is some of the changes that we've been making to our community services. Um, We started in Sunderland South Tyneside, huge numbers of service users and carers involved right from the beginning saying how they would like to see our community services work that led to commitments to making sure that people could access the service 24-7 through a telephone um, uh, um, access guarantees that there will be a multidisciplinary assessment of their needs um, within a week or two 
etc. And that's sort of like a consistent um, system that's now in place. We're in the process of trying to work out how to do something similar in each of the other four localities, Northumberland, Newcastle, Gateshead, North Tyneside. So that's something I think we're really proud of, is not just how it's going, but how many service users and carers were actually involved right from the beginning, and not just consulted, actually involved in designing it, so we could introduce you to some of the service users and carers who actually have been sitting there week in, week out, going through all of the things that are written all over the wall. We have sort of like a full um, wall of a room um, with all of the various different elements of how we try and make sure the services are joined up. So that's something I think we're really proud of. But just to be clear, that's quite tricky because we're actually requiring and expecting staff to change quite significantly the way that they've been used to working. And so some entirely naturally are quite nervous about it. Some feel that we're potentially saying they've not been doing the job right none of which is the intention. So that's something I think we're really proud of. Other things we're really proud of is we deliver some very highly specialised services, a bit linked to what I was saying earlier about um, things like eating disorders. We are an organisation that supports um, people with very, very complex needs who become very distressed. Uh, for example, we're one of only two organisations in the country that support people, um, young people, young, young women um, and, and, and girls, teenage girls, um, who have been in significant trouble with the police. Um, and we sort of have what's called a medium secure service um, and it's literally just downstairs from here um, and as I said that's one of only two in the country and sadly for some of those folk they've had such abuse physical abuse, sexual abuse um, sort of psychological abuse um, that um, not surprisingly they have a whole range of sort of um, troubling sort of conditions sort of not so much troubling, troubling sort of like reactions to their, to their condition. So that's something we're really proud of is that we're prepared to take if you like, or to give services to just about anybody in the country. We take a lot of people in Scotland, for example. A lot of people sort of come to our service in Scotland. So I think that the, the sort of the highly specialised services we're very proud of, the transformation of community service, and then finally we've got some absolutely first-rate facilities. Um, if you wanted to go and visit some of our very modern facilities, um, in this end of the patch, in um, uh, in Morpeth, St George's Park is very new, um, uh, and the, the the new showcase hospital, which only opened last autumn, is in Hopewood Park, um, in south of uh, uh, south of Sunderland. Uh, and we've had sort of the Royal College of Psychiatrists come and say that they actually were um, wowed by it. So I think some of the facilities, but not because the buildings are nice, just because of the way that they're able to sort of get all of the staff working together. Um, uh, so, so I think that's a bit of a long answer. So I think um, those would be the bits. Things that we need to do better? Uh, everything. Because <laughs> you, could, you should never be satisfied. Um, I have this sort of rather sort of... Um, uh, it's just a personal thing that I carry around. Good, better, best. Um, if we're doing something good, um, that's not good enough. Um, and it's quite a difficult because what you don't want to do is to make staff feel that you're you're not happy or you're not content with what they're doing but I think there's a sort of desire to always if you like sort of be striving for the best which is why we have this world class services we're not necessarily expecting to ever get there we want to be constantly striving to be best so I think there's quite a lot we can always do I think we're getting better at joining up services uh, I don't know whether uh, any of your listeners have um, uh, heard about things like street triage a um, bit of a technical phrase that effectively means that people that are in distress in the community may turn up um, at the A&E department maybe in a, in, a, in a bad way in the community we have a range of community psychiatric nurses who work with local police officers and they actually sort of support people um, literally on the street and then take them to the appropriate place or indeed start to provide um, support to them there and then. 
uh, as opposed to what used to happen in parts of the country, was people would be languishing in an A&E department until one of the um, uh, mental health staff could come and see them. So that's an area where I think we're still trying to work out how we avoid people getting so poorly that they end up having to be admitted to hospital and then it takes longer to actually help them sort of come out the other side. So I think it's those things we'll constantly be sort of like challenging ourselves about. Um, I mean, it's understandable that the NTW is, you know, a vast and very complicated organisation made up of individuals, some of whom may do their jobs better than others, yeah. and that's, you know, part of any large organisation. Yeah. I think um, I probably wouldn't be forgiven by the <laughs> team if I didn't sort of pass on that... The areas where consistently we're hearing people have had negative experiences are in waiting times, which is very much parallel with the issues people have with physical health uh, services, people who've had, you know, distressing experiences with individual professionals, which you've already covered when you've said people must complain and draw attention to this so it can be tackled. Don't suffer in silence. But your point, point about waiting times is right, and I should have actually said that because one of our big challenges has been waiting times into our young people services. Uh, it's been huge growth in um, people being referred into a specialist service by GPs, by teachers um, uh, and, and other sort of, uh, social workers. So we have a huge number of um, people that are being uh, asked f- um, for us to see. Um, what we've been trying to do, give an example in Northumberland, we had a very, very significant number of people that were waiting for um, months and months and months, even for their initial assessment. We've now, it's an awful phrase, we've now cleared the backlog, so people are all being seen within less than 12 weeks. Um, so I would say that's an area that I should have mentioned earlier, that, that the pressure on waiting times because of demand growth is, um, uh, is immense. Children's and Young People Services is, uh, and this sounds a bit like an excuse, one of the areas where we haven't trained enough specialists um, over the last decade. So we're actually all fishing in the same um, um, pond for specialist um, uh, child psychiatrists, etc. So I would say, I'm sure some of you listeners are sitting there saying, well, actually, we know somebody who's been trying to access that service and been waiting yeah. for months and months and months. That has been true. Sadly, in a small number of our localities, it's still true, but I'm, I'm genuinely proud to say that we're making huge progress on that. I went to a meeting recently with um, a a group of GPs in Northumberland and they were saying that they understood that we had huge pressures on our specialist services and what they were asking us to do and I think that's a really practical thing is um, uh, sharing with them what the other network of services are. So if somebody's in need of support but not necessarily to see one of our specialists, where else can the GP um, refer them to? So I think part of our job is to better link up with third sector colleagues uh, in a voluntary sector to say how can we jointly provide services more Thank you, I mean I think it's fair to say and everyone would agree that the NTW is obviously operating in an environment of you know unfortunate social stigma around mental health, obviously political change and upheaval uh, financial constraints, you've just mentioned there a skills shortage in particular areas, so I do think it would be unfair for anybody to blame the NTW for you know all of those things which it must obviously struggle against but I think um, if we move on to Becky now, she's got some questions from uh, some of our team 
Yeah. Um, just to sort of shout out to start with, just like to say thank you to Helen, Alistair, Gareth, Bill, and Sharon for contributing, as well as Lottie helping me last night put these together. Um, so obviously, you were just talking about um, most people are being seen in less than twelve weeks. What is that the average waiting time now? Yeah, I mean, it varies obviously from service to service. Um, generally, we try and see people um, uh, quicker than that, uh, and we do the large majority. Of so nationally, there are sort of set of um, waiting time standards that have been introduced for certain mental health services for the first time ever. Um, so we've had for many, many years maximum waiting time standards for physical health services, so for a first outpatient appointment, for when somebody starts treatment following referral by a GP. We've only just, for the first time in the history of the NHS, have those introduced nationally um, for mental health services. So whilst it's going to be a big ask to meet some of those standards, we're really pleased because um, it actually sort of gets um, uh, focus on it nationally and frankly it also helps make sure that some more of the money comes into mental health services. I was going to say actually um, if, if you're being given targets will that mean that you do actually have sort of financial implications if you don't yes. meet these then? Yes, yes, so if I give you an example that I've already mentioned and then I return to the one we've just talked about, mm -hmm. the two areas that we found it hardest to deliver on for our commissioners uh, last year was what we call children's and young people's waiting times, what some organisations call child and adolescent mental health services. Just interested in the reason we don't call them child and adolescent mental health services, because our service users said they didn't like it, because they thought it was uh, stigmatising them by using that phrase. So just an interesting example where um, people have specifically said we'd like the services to be called something else. So that's an area where, linked to what we were just saying, we haven't been able to meet in every one of our six localities the waiting time standards we committed to. And the second one, which I just alluded to, which we've made huge progress this year on, is the physical health monitoring. So ensuring that everybody with a mental health um, uh, need that's in touch with our services, that we do a range of physical health monitoring. So because of that, um, there is money attached. Um, and so we have to try and agree with our commissioners that if we pulled out all the stops and not quite got there, will we still be paid the money? Um, uh, so obviously the, 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 the reason for doing it is not the money, but the way I describe it is that if we don't get the money, then we actually can't continue to deliver um, uh, improving services. Um, and it'd be fair to our sort of, uh, local clinical commission groups, they're pretty pretty supportive. But they they recognise that for the vast majority of things, we deliver them. And for those that we're struggling with, we can show what we're doing. Um, so there's a big issue around money. Um, but that's why, uh, actually... Even though there's a risk of not getting paid, I'd much rather have challenging um, standards being applied to mental health services because it's all back to that parity of esteem issue. I know that that sounds actually really great. A lot of my questions have obviously been about cuts because that's a major public concern at the moment. Um, so I was just wondering what impact you would think that um, cutting services, yep. as it were, would have on sort of other healthcare routes. Sure, Do you sure. really think, obviously, that the money should be with you, but? Do you think it would have an impact on, say, GPs and A&E yeah. if it were to be cut? Uh, I mean, I'd probably start with not so much the NHS. I think one of our biggest worries is what's happening to local authority social care funding and education funding. Um, because unlike, say, sort of a short physical health um, problem where you might have, I don't know, um, need for a um, cataract operation, you'll be seen in the hospital and probably go home the same day, and you might only have one review um, uh, appointment after that. For many of the people that we support, they will have quite a long relationship with our services. Not not everybody. Um, and so for us, the 
concern is mostly about what's the social care package that's around that person so they can stay living in the community with the appropriate support. So at the moment I would say our biggest worry is about what the impact is on the North East Councils from the way that the money's being allocated to councils. The North East Councils are particularly um, losers from the way it works because there's a much greater focus now on age as opposed to deprivation. Not that there isn't some legitimacy for that, but it means that where there are the most deprived communities, sadly, people tend to die earlier than in the more affluent communities. So effectively, the northeast and other northern areas tend to sort of like get a smaller increase or even worse, a bigger cut. Um, so I'd start with that, local authorities. Then from an NHS point of view, um, our problem is not so much whether we're getting um, a sort of a real terms increase or not. It's the growth in demand associated with the ageing population, associated with um, what we just talked about in terms of um, pressures um, for young people, um, anxiety, eating disorders, um, depressive illnesses. And so I think our problem is how to do um, not just the same with a bit less, but a lot more with a bit less. Um, so I think that's our sort of um, constant challenge. And uh, just to give an example of what the numbers mean, if we're asked to deliver a 3% um, cash releasing efficiency which is horrible terminology but basically the way I describe it to staff is if we have to do that we have to deliver um, uh, 9 million pounds of services next year for free that we got paid for this year and that's what the efficiency target means every year so when you've got an organisation where 80% of your costs are staff how do you make sure that you're not actually having to sort of reduce your staff? Because obviously if you reduce your staff, you're going to be um, at risk of delivering less good services. So that's why the trying to get some extra money in is really, really important. Not because we want loads of money, but because money equals staff. Uh, I just really want to, everyone, everyone just wants to join in. Well, at least I certainly do. Uh, that was obviously Coldplay uh, with The Scientist. Uh, we were just having a debate about which Coldplay songs were good. Uh, and we were dissing yellow, at least I certainly was. Um, but uh, welcome back to Mentally Sound. Uh, thank you so much to John Lawler. Obviously, that was the part two of his interview. Uh, we will be playing part three in, in the next show, show six. Uh, we're back in the studio with, uh, obviously, Richard, but we are joined by Mr. Ricky, who is going to be doing a mental health news. Hello, Ricky. How's it doing? How are you doing, all? Um, how's it doing? It's going good. <laughs> we're going to get all. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's going well, Mr. Ricky. How are you? It's... Actually, it's it's quite muggy today. I was banking on it being cool because we had a rather cool week. But yeah. I'm so glad to see a fan in this studio. Well, <laughs> well done, who thought of that? Yeah, yeah. yeah we need fans. Uh, hopefully, there's people listening. Literally, <laughs> we, we need fans. Literally. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, um, but no, it's all good. It's yeah, I know because it is get it's insane. It's I kind of feel like uh, I'm sort of like my my mom or something or my grandma or something yeah. and going. The weather just doesn't know what it wants to do today. It's like because um, it's because I came out wearing a hoodie and I'm like now absolutely boiling. I bought one as well. And even even with it being clouded over it's still it's still um it's still just ridiculously hot but we're, we're powering through even though we it's are. like really boiling the studio mm-hmm. but anyway mental health news so ricky's going to talk about um obviously what's happening in the news since we've last been on so far away wiki okie doke well as we we didn't get time last time remember last month's show yes we didn't, get, we didn't so know. i'll just go over some news that we sh- we ought to have covered yes go for um, it um one thing i found in particular quite uh, poignant um, we saw, we learned of the sad loss of Charles Kennedy, as you know, the yeah. politician. Alco- alcoholism, yeah. And what was particularly interesting as well was how we all reacted from that. It kind of brought up the conversation of how we define alcoholism and how, you know, it brought up the conversation up again. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, as in with mental health as well, we use the word demons quite often. Mm-hmm. And I think if we, if we really want to um, take something like alcoholism quite seriously and, and re- recognize as an illness, yeah. is, is using demons a fair, a fair thing when people kind of suffer from it? And that was a really good kind of conversation piece. Whenever, I, whenever anyone sort of brings up, it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting, just a very interesting point. But um, I just want to say, as a subsection of that, like when, it, when I heard Charles Kennedy had died, yeah. um, it brought back to me memories of "Have I Got News for You," and it brought up, and it brought because the reason I bring it up is because they would make jokes about his expense, about his alcoholism on that show all did, the time, yeah. and I really, really had an issue with that. Like, mm. and, and and the reason I have an issue is that I firmly believe that you should be able to to joke about about anything but mm. it i always feel that i always feel that whenever they go to something where someone's dealt with something for so long Absolutely. and it's in the public domain and they're constantly yeah. going at him like when he was in public office and mm. was more well arguably more well known than when yeah. money died then i it, it re, i really re- resented them keep bringing it up because mm. it it makes a double standard because right. like they don't ever sort of attack somebody else like they they attack jeff jeffrey archer for example quite yeah, rightly yeah. but there's certain people they attack for i feel for a genuine illness that mm. you know and i think i mean would you go along with the thing of you mentioned demons and stuff is it not like a wider point of that they don't really think some people think alcoholism isn't actually a thing you know because it's they sometimes feel that it's a choice not realizing that there's a mental well, health see, issue I, I... involved in it I had my best year when I, in the 90s when I used to go to art college and I met... What was particularly great about that year I had, this is over in North Tyneside, yeah. was that I met people who joined that course who were coming off a variety of different illnesses. Yeah. One in particular, I remember, who was, 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 was you know, boozing sort of every, you know, left, right and centre, every chance he got. And he tried to tell us in particular that what he, what, what he has is an illness. And I kind of refused to believe it at that point and i was mm-hmm. very young and naive now looking back you know i think he has got a point mm-hmm. and i think if we are going to use words like demons is it fair does demon does demons demonize in a way does it does it construct that stigma do you see the point I'm yeah making yeah I'm, I'm just was going to ask you as a sort of answering your your your, mm. your, your debate with the question and say do you, the way i the way i approach my bipolar disorder yeah. is i sometimes feel like it is another person mm. and i think if you ask a lot of people honestly about mental health regardless yeah. of whatever it is because alcoholism is, is a mental health issue i think we can I all agree so, on that yeah. um is that is that you do kind of put it on a different pedestal of that you're going because you don't want to be that person so mm. you kind of you know diversify that by mm. making it out as like almost like another entity so whenever mm. i feel bad i'm kind of like you know when, when someone like whenever someone helps me and they say something nice i say to them i i hear it the real me hears you being nice to me Mm. but you're hearing the the illness Mm. destroying your compliment Mm. by going but i don't believe that when actually i'm trying to latch onto that very thing so that it feels like it's almost sometimes like the real me is wanting to latch onto it does that make sense to you because i think i mean i've made this point to you before as well it's it's an important component in the whole context of uh, mental health i mean yeah after my own breakdown, I, I told you in the past, didn't I, that I yeah. actually gave up yeah, alcohol yeah. because for me, it was, I was scared that it would be seen too much of a crutch. Yeah. And I think when what alcohol did to me, and I miss those times as well, going back, as, as I was saying before, to student days, mm-hmm. was that it, it, it elevates you to such a, a, a good place. 
But once you either become sober or you give it up, then there's that huge come down. Yeah. And it's a huge, huge drop. Yeah. And I and I'd be I'm kind of very scared of that drop. Uh-huh. So you can imagine the kind of hell that someone who's routinely you know, mm-hmm. involves their around their life around alcohol. What damage yeah, that does to them. So before we get onto this, I wanna know what Richard thinks about this. Sure. So I'm I'm quite intrigued to know because obviously so we're talking about, you know, alcohol and obviously Charles Kennedy is an example. I mean, what, what's your take on what we've just discussed? Um, there, there was a couple of things uh, that, uh, that I found quite interesting. The fact that um, his illness um, was continually mocked despite the fact that it was well known and out in yeah. the open. And it's almost as if um, th- there's, an ab- there's an ability to continually mock somebody just because an illness is well known doesn't actually mean the individual has dealt with that illness yeah. or is continuing to deal with that illness. Um, you know, the, the public awareness and public knowledge doesn't necessarily help the sufferer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really interested in, in the, the, the sort of recognition of alcoholism as, uh, as a form of mental illness. Now, I wouldn't draw direct comparisons with, with illnesses such as bulimia and anorexia. But th- there's that image that you have. You, you, you see a picture of Charles Kennedy or you see Charles Kennedy. You form an impression of the man. Um, yet, when he would have looked at himself in a mirror... He may well have been, and is almost likely to be, completely disgusted by the reflection that, that that he saw, and maybe that drove a need to abuse his body in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, I maybe. just find the whole situation is is desperately sad, mm-hmm. um, and and sadder still um, that he was forced to, uh, to 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 live that part of his life in the public domain. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 it obviously is a really delicate thing, and 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 but yeah, as you say, it just kind of seems like. Um, the the I think the the the, uh, the obvious problem seems to be the empathy that some people don't have because you know a lot of people maybe have maybe would have the assumption and if we take Charles Kennedy as the example because we're talking about him is to basically say that they could turn around and go well why don't you just not drink like that's what some people have the the the, the warped view of doing that just as much as like saying when you're depressed just walk it off or whatever it always seems to be to everyone else the most simplest thing in the world. And it's not, you know, I always kind of say to people to diversify it a bit better and to make it more understandable is go, there's a lot of the time when someone has a mental health issue that affects them the whole time, then they're not capable of doing the very thing you're asking them to do. So asking them to do something, you might as well tell them to go and do 10 marathons because it's just as difficult as you saying to them, you know, shape up, get better. And because that's so far beyond what the person's feeling at the time it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to not get there but at the time that you specifically say when they're at the worst oh you just need to get out of this that that just seems impossible to the person Um, make the situation even worse then steve that if 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 you're being um asked to do something that you know is impossible but you feel that in in a in a a normal world in inverted commas that uh, that that's what most people would be able to do it reinforces the. You pile, you, you the, pile yeah. so much pressure yeah. on yourself to something that you're not. Great point. In that that moment, you're you're not capable of doing. Yeah. But that you feel that you should. It, yeah. You're actually going to spiral further downwards. Yeah. By thinking that way. Exactly. It's, it's very very difficult. Exactly. That's such a great point. I I, I mentioned this uh, last night to a friend of mine. Is that yeah? The very that's the very thing. It reinforces the very feeling you already have by yeah. going. I'm reminding you of what you can't do. Yeah. Um. It's a really great point. So Ricky, in terms of we've got about another uh, got another few minutes. So have you got anything quick to quick another quick news segment you want to. You want to talk about? Is there uh, any, anything yeah. else? Well, that was. Thank you for bringing that up. I remember that we should have talked about that last time. No, you're um, welcome. I'll just make just on the back of that. I'll quickly mention about um, you know 
politicians in a way uh, Richard mentioned about living that in the public eye yeah uh, very recently um, Rochdale MP um, Simon Danzuk has come out quite publicly to say that he's suffering quite bad yep uh, and he's had rightful advice from psychiatrists to take time out and I commend him on coming out and saying that and admitting it Great, um, yeah. He even said as well that the Speaker of the House, John Burko, has mm-hmm. um, set some money aside. So, any because we look at politicians of having a very rock sort of exterior, you know, a very hardened exterior. That's what you expect yeah. of them. So, they're putting money aside for people within that environment to get help when they need it, which yeah. I think is great. Uh, just you're you're into your sci-fi. I am into my little bit, but <laughs> a little bit. Uh, the, the words out there. <laughs> you might, you might I haven't got a Star Trek tattoo or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wait, I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, go well, um, another another sort of brave, uh, sorry, brave, um, famous face coming out was uh, Will Wheaton. He's produced a uh, video saying about his anxiety disorder. Oh yes, well, I've seen yeah. one of them. I don't know if about a recent one, yeah. but go on. I'm intrigued. And I commend him with that because he yeah. said that he encourages people to go out and find the right help. I mean, it's a very individual journey that we all face. One, what one thing works for someone doesn't work for another. Yes. And he we said that... We on this in the first segment, yeah. yeah. His defining line is is that, you know, getting the right help enables him not only just to exist, but to live as well. And obviously, yeah. he's in a very creative environment. I mean, in a way, he's a, he's a bit of a hero of mine because, like, you know, Stand By Me is one of my all-time favourite films. Great, song. And, uh, great, 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 great film, Big yeah. Bang Theory as well. Great song as well. Quite like. <laughs> yeah, fantastic song. So, um, there's yeah. that as well. Very quickly as well, the other day we had the, the sad anniversary of the 7-7, and I expected this to come out in the news, as it did, that um, there are invisible victims, you know, in terms of, you know, acts of terror, any sort of natural disaster that yeah. goes on in the world. So, Absolutely, yeah. Um, it was refreshing to hear people in the media come out and say that, you know, I have post-traumatic stress disorder. I do get vivid flashbacks and, you know, I have trouble sleeping. Yeah. And it's giving a new sort of insight into these sorts of events that, you know, it's not just about what happens there and then. There are long-term effects. I know from my own PTSD, that's what it's like. So that was coming out in the news as well. Fantastic, yeah. So it was great. Um, I mean, do you really think in in relation to what you've just talked about in terms of the... It's essentially increasing awareness, isn't it? That's right. I mean, do you really think... Because this is what theory I have in regards to that, as I think... That is, the more people that talk about it, the more people that are open to talk about it, the more that it can be accepted because there's so many different examples of where things were were, were the norm, but Mm -hmm. ultimately were wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. like I think it's, you know, racism wouldn't be as, 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 eradicated as much as it is it still exists obviously i'm yeah. not being i'm not being yeah. ignorant but i'm saying it's a it's a it seems to me to be a much better situation than, it, than it's ever been and that took people literally going out and Absolutely. telling people that it's wrong and, yeah. and getting together yeah. and i think like you know in terms of mental health issues because mental health issues have been around so long Absolutely. and do you think that's really all it's going to take because <clears throat> it seems to me that i don't see why we should like make this a special thing it should be like every other form of well uh, the danger of, is of when it when it comes when it gets talked about at a certain point there's a danger that not long after it'll get swept under the carpet yeah exactly, uh, you made yeah. the point about racism as well i mean there were fantastic projects way before you talk you know rock against racism whatever but that never sorted out the problem long term these things have to mm-hmm. continue on a on a long-term basis to be brought up again and again and yeah there's always going to be unfortunately natural disasters things like that and i would just like to think that such <laughs> awareness are 
raised at the same time, you know. Yeah, the yeah. It's not just I just it's great, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's really important that we do a show like this. And obviously, it gets it gets released after the fact and gets downloaded. And I think if it just helps, you know, I have the attitude of you know some people some people have said to me with me being active of talking about my mental health issues is that you do get the abuse, you get people who say how dare you be outspoken about this, mm-hmm. and I'm going, but I realise the bigger picture. I realise the bigger picture of there's someone right now who has bipolar disorder who's sitting in their bed. I'm, I'm using this as an example because I have bipolar disorder. Is that someone in the bedroom when I was a teenager not knowing what they've got and is hurting themselves or feeling forgotten about and they may listen to this Absolutely. or they may listen to somebody else who listened to this who then told them about it. I mean, for years it, I felt you know? so guilty because I had this condition and I didn't know what it was. So when I eventually got the diagnosis, it was a relief for me because I actually pin it down and yeah. get it sorted Fantastic. and went from there. Um, and just on this very last piece, yes, go we for have it. time for that. Really yeah, quickly, this, 30 seconds. This tails on to the next piece, which you'll play an interview with uh, Sally, who Fantastic. is part of the yeah. uh, uh, Keep Maisie at Home campaign. You'll find them online on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, Maisie is a girl who's had autism and has been bullied. And her mother, who's a fantastic campaigner, is trying. her latest petition is to... Because they're based in Hull, and mm-hmm. this goes on from the Dispatches program, which was on Channel 4 the other night, a very insightful program. Nice. Go out and watch it, guys. It's on uh, 4OD. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, we'll have an interview with her. It's basically about families and the hundreds of miles they have to travel to to, to, to see their kids who are in a vulnerable state, you know, institutionalised at various treatment centres. Basically, local ones are getting shut down all over the shop and people have to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles to see their vulnerable Fantastic. children. It's a, it's a scandal, and I hope such awareness will, will help bring an end to that fantastic greatly done so yeah as uh, Ricky says this is his interview with Sally and you're listening to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio North East uh, this is Mentally Sound Gravity Radio North East thanks for joining me I have the pleasure of talking to Sally who's in charge of the uh, c- campaign called Bring Maisie Home that was its former title wasn't it Kathy? Yes. yeah and it's now Keep Maisie at Home because Maisie's been home for a month now you were telling me Yes, that's right. Yeah, and how is she? She's um, struggling. She's mm. she's making small progress, but um, she's finding each day a challenge. Yeah. And just just tell me about Maisie. Uh, what what no- noticeable symptoms did you first start with that you noticed, and um, her first diagnosis, and and obviously what she's been struggling with since. Well, when Maisie was just twelve years old. Mm-hmm. I came home from work to find her um, trying to hurt herself with a pair of scissors. Yeah. And um, the sort of build-up to that was she was getting bullied at school. Mm-hmm. Her dad had died about six months previous, um, and everything sort of started to spiral out of control for Maisie. Yeah. Um, and at that, at that point of crisis of her trying to hurt um she had to be... Uh, restrained by police and sent to the local A&E because we don't have any facilities for children mm-hmm. with mental health in crisis locally mm-hmm. um, and through that it took quite a few days but she got sent to a secure unit in Stafford which was about 130 miles away from home yeah. um, just five days before Christmas mm-hmm. so while she was there uh, because it was over the Christmas period, nothing really kind of happened for Maisie mm-hmm. um, and I had to write to my local MP to get some help to get her out of there and get her closer to her because nobody was really listening to me yeah. about it being too far away mm-hmm. and not the right kind of uh, unit for Maisie. Mm-hmm. 
she got moved to a unit in Sheffield and at that point that's when she got diagnosed with autism Um, so obviously that was a huge shock to her and to the family Mm -hmm. Uh, she's always been quite challenging but she's very clever very bright always above or Mm -hmm. on target with milestones Um, and not what we knew what autism was so it was a real eye up and they were amazing kind of struggled with a new identity for quite a while so it was a huge learning curve for all of you and all of the family, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. And should in such a short space of time to, to, to allow it to sink in, I imagine, with her yes. having to be uh, sent away like that? It took a lot um, to readjust. Maisie took uh, quite a lot of time over because she got discharged last April and mm. that sort of spring-summer was Maisie trying to readjust to who she was and find out she wanted to research autism and what it was and... She's so clever, she is determined that she doesn't want to be autism and she's going to beat it. Um, And so everything what she reads about autistic people and what their traits are, she's trying to overcome them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because she just says she wants to be normal. Yeah, absolutely. But along with the autism, she's also got complex mental health issues such as Mm self-harming, anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression. And so it's a real spiral for Maisie because sometimes she has really good days and then other days it can be something really minor that just triggers something that upsets her and that's it she can't seem to get herself out of it and that's when her autism sort of locks in because she she doesn't have that cognitive thinking to bring her out of it sure and it was from then on I believe that you first started the campaign to bring Maisie home and it really took off on social media didn't it Yes, it did. I mean, social media is brilliant for lots of things, and I found that we've been able to spread the word yeah. um, really well with the social media and, and the attention what we've had from lots of people all over the country, all over the world. Yeah. It's been really encouraging and overwhelming, really. Fantastic, yeah. And uh, I think there were some uh, local newspapers that were really promoting it as well. Yes, our local Hull Daily Mail we've got, yeah. they've made it a fair campaign, they've called right, it Kids yeah. in Crisis back in January, mm-hmm. um, and the, the local um, reporter, Alison Coggin, she's been fantastic, mm-hmm. um, and then we've got some local news stations that they've been really keeping up, up to date and on the ball with what's been going on and the progress that's been happening. That's right, yeah. And uh, that's kind of morphed into this current campaign is to keep Maisie home, and that's with the National Autistic Society. Am I right in that? Yes, that's right. Um, The National Autistic Society Mm -hmm. backed us uh, way back in the beginning in January. um, They've given us the opportunity to um, speak in Parliament, and we've we've met Andy Burnham, Mm -hmm. and we went to Parliament last week where we met um, Alistair Baird and... Um, our local MP, Alan Johnson, he's been really great, mm. a real champion for our cause. Um, so the NAS have really supported us with that. Mm. And just, you mentioned Alan Johnson because uh, at the end of the programme shown on uh, Channel 4 Wednesday night, Kids in Crisis, right at the end there, he read out a letter from Beth, didn't he? Yes. And he was saying that, uh, well, Beth was saying in her own words that she felt no one was listening. Um I want the chance to be a kid while I can, while I still can, um, before it's too late. So, uh, how, from that response, and I know that Norman Lamb was listening in particular. What, what has there been any direct response from that? Not yet. Not currently, yet. Um, I 
know Kathy had had meetings with Norman Lamb and he was very aware of the situation, what was going on in Hull and with Alan Johnson and I know he was sympathetic but he didn't actually do anything to bring back that unit mm. um, or, or help us get, get any further on with any sort of help. Mm. Um, but um, the, the fight continues. I think NHS England said that they wouldn't um, comment until the programme had been aired, so we're still waiting for that statement to see what they've got to say about it all. Okay. Um, and the th- one particular theme through watching that programme, and it was a very insightful programme, very heartbreaking, um, especially when you you would listen to the siblings of of those people who were sent away, talking to them on the phone, wishing them to come back. I mean, it was very moving. Um, I'm sure that resonated with you in particular, did it? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's been so difficult having having your child that is ill so mm. far away, and then when the phone you, it's harrowing when they're crying down the phone, yeah. um, just wanting to be hugged or for you to just go and see them um, like it's round the corner. Mm. It's just awful, and and going back to what you said earlier, when Maisie first admitted into a mental health hospital, she went in as a little girl, and yeah. she's never been the same again yeah. because she's just picked up so much from older patients, from other patients. Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely robbed her of her of her teenage years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you kind of want them to mature at their own pace, and I suppose when when they're sent to an institution like that. It's a very rap- rapid reaction, isn't it? And their youth can can so easily be sort of taken away from them. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it sounds a bit cliche, but it is. You know, everybody's image of stereotypical prison, where everybody talks about what they've done. Yeah. It's very much like that in those units where Maisie's an an expert about drugs that um, mental health patients take and mm. and different mental health conditions and. You know, she went in into that situation, really innocent little girl of twelve, and now she talks like she's a professional. Yeah. So going back to the the current state of play in Hull, um, from what I've read and researched, the last unit there was was shut back in two thousand thirteen through cuts. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. And uh, well, they did. Sorry, um, go, on, go on. NHS England did a restructure of mm. of tier four. That's what they call inpatient. Right. Um, beds. Yeah. Um, and our unit didn't um, meet this criteria apparently, mm. but they didn't give them chance to um, meet it. They just closed it. So it, I think there's a bit of a scam of how they did it. Yeah. And the, going back to the program as well, the the other theme I picked up was when the the commentator or the narrator was saying things like severe autism, um, severe depression, severe anxiety. But the, the common theme as well was that through every family that had to travel those hundreds of miles was also severe cuts. I mean, this is happening in every corner of the country, isn't it? I mean, the the other the other recognisable thing on the programme was a, a family from Northern Ireland had to travel all the way to the mainland to receive treatment down in London. So this is happening up and down the country, isn't it? It is, and, and it is a postcode lottery because yeah. there are pockets that have got good provisions, but then we've got Hull and the Humber and Cornwall and um, Northern Ireland yeah. that that are really, you know, there, that don't have the right provision or any provision. I mean, when we talk, I mean, often us campaigners make the comparison. Um, mental health has always been 
seen as a Cinderella service in comparison to, say, physical health. If our son or daughter was injured physically, we have the luxury to visit them there and then within, you know, we're talking about visiting within the hour and there and then, but with mental health, it's a completely different set of circumstances. Families shouldn't have to travel those hundreds of miles, should they? I mean, not every family can even manage that, whether it be not even a daily basis for obvious reasons, but even weekly, monthly. It's it's a very hard um, pattern to try and uh, fit their lives around, isn't it? Absolutely, it's heart-wrenching. And NHS England have got a statement that says every large city should have inpatient T4 children's mental health beds. But, like you say, it's a Cinderella budget and mm. and it just doesn't get... Because it's got that stigma, I think yeah. they use it as, um, as a getaway of not uh, providing what they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Mental health is the third largest killer in this country. Mm-hmm. And, and yet it, it's trapped like it doesn't exist, like it's a rare condition, but it's mm. a really common condition. Mm. And the earlier that they intervene with these children, then the better their life will yeah. be. 70% of um, children that are criminals um, are suffering with mental health issues. So if they sorted it out, they would improve so many lives. I mean, it's it's a common thing that we hear, isn't it, where... If, if a child goes through any sort of crisis, um, we, it's the same with adults, really, in some in, in many respects, that they're often met by the law and, and thrown away to the cells rather than met by professionals and, and medics and, and have that crucial early diagnosis rather than, you know, put it down to things like teenage angst or anything like that. Uh, absolutely. As a parent, you feel like you're under the microscope and they're just waiting, looking for things that they can blame it on you rather than just mm. say, this is what's happened, this is the condition, let's treat it. Yeah. And um, it's appalling. It's. Mm. Um, I've got another friend who's doing a psychology um, course at, at the university yeah. and there's 200 people on that course and there's only 7% of those people that will get a job. Mm. So it's just... What is going on with this? the service of mental health is just yeah. not getting the attention or the right input yeah. at all from the government. I mean, stats-wise, it's I think it's one in four for adults that uh, carry a condition or at least no one knows somebody really close to them. But um, as it was addressed in the programme the other night, um, it's one in ten children. Yes. That's right, isn't it? It is. And going back to the campaign... I mean, you also want to do... Uh, you're also fighting a generic battle in terms of wanting uh, children who who, who suffer a, a mental health crisis at any time during day and night to be dealt with immediately. That's right, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. When Maze has been in crisis, uh, uh, even though paramedics have turned up and police officers have turned up, mm. none of them are really trained in mental health and they don't... Is that child still doesn't get the dignity or the professional care what they're entitled to, like it, if it was a physical mm-hmm. problem um, yeah. or illness. And it, and it just feels like because you can't see mental health and because they can't measure it, yeah. it's it's just brushed under the carpet. Mm-hmm. And the, the goal, obviously, as well, as you mentioned before, is to recommission that, the crucial recommission of the inpatient unit for kids in the whole area. Um, what other backing have you had from local-wise? Have you had much media attention? Yes, we've, we're getting lots of support from our local media, yeah. papers and radio, uh, and we've got um, 
17,000 signatures online and we've also got about that on paper petitions. Me and my family, mm. we've been in shopping centres, supermarkets and really getting the word out there and people in Hull are shocked and devastated that, you know, children are getting treated so appallingly mm. when they're so vulnerable and need the family the most. That's right, I mean, so vulnerable and as, as it was addressed in the programme, um, it was a family down south who were having to travel over 300 miles yes. um, from Cornwall to Kent and back again in other places through various institutions where they've been sectioned. But it sounds like a great campaign and, and you know, 17,000 signatures you mentioned, yeah? Online, yes. Well, I'm sure that'll continue to grow and we'll be sharing it as well. Um, any last things that you want to say about the campaign and... Uh, Anything that Maisie said recently that's crucial that you'd like everyone else to hear? Yeah, Maisie is, is home and she is struggling. She's yeah. making small amounts of progress, but she's scared. She's absolutely petrified of having mm. to go and be sent back away to an, a bed far away. Mm. And for a 13-year-old girl who's already got the weight of the world on her shoulders, to have that added pressure is just enormous for her to carry mm -hmm. that weight around with her and for 21st century Great Britain yeah. to, to treat these kids in such an appalling way is, mm. is criminal really and we need to stand together as a nation and stand up to NHS England and the government and say this is not acceptable. It's it's a stigma isn't it? I think um, every one of us just tr tries to con continue to break it down each way it can and let's just hope one day that will happen. I mean I will tell you Sally that People power does work. I mean, I'll give you a local example. Um, just within the last couple of years, we've had uh, an eating disorder unit, which at our Royal Infirmary uh, Hospital in the centre of town, and that was a very crucial place for a lot of um, people, young people especially, and that was under threat. And a similar petition that was garnered online and went through <coughs> various MPs and in Parliament it was mentioned and through local campaigners, we managed to stop that from uh, being closed. So there is hope, and we'll keep our fingers crossed that, crossed that things get improved down in Hull. That's uh, brilliant. Thanks very much. And I want to thank you very much, Sally, and uh, this was a very ad hoc thing, and I appreciate coming on, but in light of the recent Channel 4 programme, uh, it's important that we grab things while they're topical. You would agree with that, don't you? Absolutely, while yes. It's, while it's still fresh in people's minds. Um, yeah, that's uh, Sally, who's a uh, mother of Maisie, of the uh, Keep Maisie at Home campaign. Uh, uh, do you want to give your Twitter address quickly, as we're on Twitter yes, as well? well yes, the handles Get Maisie Home, and our petitions. Um, and the petitions Twitter. attached to that, yeah. We'll be sharing that as well. Great, thank you. Thanks very much, Sally. Appreciate thank it. You. Hello guys, welcome back to Mentally Sound right here at Gravity Radio North East. Obviously my name is of still Stephen, why would it have changed? Um, but I'm here obviously with Richard and what our special guest. Well we've had already had Ricky obviously, so a huge thank you to him. Uh, oh, I should mention as well, that was from The Mask if you wanted to know. Um, a huge, the, one of my favourite films growing up. They should make another one, they should make another one. Not The Son of the Mask, that was terrible. I know Wayne's in the background going, uh, what, what about The Son of the Mask? No, that was terrible. Um, but anyway, so um, uh, yeah, just that was The Mask. And a huge thank you to Ricky with Mental Health News. We hope that um, that talk was interesting. I certainly enjoyed it. But yeah, so anyway, we have a guest here in the studio, uh, um, an old friend of mine, I would say, and I've known him from known him for a while now. Uh, David Coombs, hello, sir. 
Hello. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Obviously, it's really nice to have you. Um, it's really nice to be here. Excellent. Um, so you had to talk about, obviously, your book, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, but also, I've been told... Yeah, well, obviously, you do want to say a little bit about yourself, your sort of history and all that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, you can talk about it in relation to mental health if you want to. Um, okay, I have education and qualifications, but um, don't focus on them very much. Uh, my life at the moment is rather circumscribed by doctors telling me I have mental health problems mm. that um, I may have had about 10 years ago, but um, uh, certainly, um, in my opinion, don't have any more. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, well they should know mm-hmm. uh, the fact that they don't is um, uh, well why my life is as messed up as it is yeah uh, I mean did they um, did they uh, if you don't mind me asking because obviously one of the things that's me and David were in hospital uh, 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 last year did they ever like uh, find out what you had because I know that that was uh, an issue I think they said there was schizophrenia wasn't it um that's what I'm told. Yeah. Uh, the word paranoid is sometimes attached to that, yeah. but it hasn't always been. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think I had bipolar disorder, but mm-hmm. I no longer do. Yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough. So are you, in general, are you seem in a better place, is that fair to say? Um, are you, do you seem I to would be, be in a better place if I wasn't taking the tablets. Okay, well, that's yeah. a different issue entirely. So you don't think that, they don't think the tablets help? I don't think the tablets help when you don't need them. Yeah. Uh, I don't think section helps. Uh, yeah, that's something we were discussing in the break. Um, but yeah, I mean, so uh, well, I hope that uh, I hope that rectifies itself. But in terms of more positive stuff, um, you said one of the things I've been told about is you, you're now you're doing a workshop at Launchpad. Do you want to talk to me about that? Yes, I lead a creative writing group at Launchpad. This is a sort of um, uh, creative art as therapy mm-hmm. approach, and. Um, it has certainly helped me a lot, and I try to communicate that to uh, uh, people who attend with quite a lot of success. Excellent. Uh, we have been um, going to spoken word nights and performing at them, and um, uh, we've all been enjoying ourselves. Fantastic. So how long has these workshops been running for? Well, uh, these workshops have been running for um, longer than I've been involved, because... Okay. Uh, uh, it used to be um, organised by a lady who is no longer with us. Oh, okay. And um, I, I took charge of the group about um, two and a half years ago. Okay, great. Uh, uh, so where is it? Where are these um, workshops taking place? Because like, is there any way people can find out more about it? This is a launch pad at Holy Jesus Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best person to contact would obviously be Alistair Cameron you've probably heard of yeah so. yeah yeah you can i'm assuming if we relate to us you can find information about it as well because alistair's a, a huge part of the show so yeah definitely and um, that sounds really that sounds really great and um, i know richard in in regards to he's got a um got a, a question in regards to because uh we we're talking about the writing and he says it was he mentioned that it was thera- like it was therapeutic and stuff and i know you had a question about that uh, richard yeah i've i've actually um compiled a, a book which is essentially a work of fiction, but uh, th- there are elements within that book that certainly um, have some basis in fact. Um, I found it very, very difficult to, uh, to actually um, put those thoughts and feelings down on paper, and I was just wondering, David, when you were putting your book together, whether there was uh, any therapeutic value um, in, in actually 
um, putting your thoughts down, um, typing, typing your thoughts down or, or putting your thoughts down on paper? Great question. Great Thank question. you. Uh, well, um, oh, my books are largely based on stuff I thought was happening uh, when I was ill in the past and not so much on the actual facts of what was actually happening. Okay. So they are more or less fiction, or at least I very much hope so. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, this is what I try to get people in my group to do, to write about what they feel, and uh, not necessarily unless they feel comfortable about it, about um, the actual cases. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, this helps a lot in confronting uh, what they're ready to confront and, um, uh, with not um, uh, putting down the things that um, they're going through until they're ready to deal with them. Uh, then they go through things at their own pace. Mm -hmm. That sounds fantastic, and it's um, so. In, in regards to the, and obviously we just talked about the, the mentioned that you you've got a book. Cause it's called Living on the Edge, isn't it? It's called uh, Dancing on the Edge. Dancing on the Edge. Sorry, yes. Um, and so, um, when did you originally um, write this book? How long ago? I wrote the. I published this book on April the first, two thousand and ten. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Uh, yeah, how did you get it? Is it is it officially been published, or did you self publish it? So how did how did you publish it? It has been published online. Nice. Uh, all four of my novels are available on uh, lily.com. Uh, nice. Both as physical books and as downloads. Fantastic. Um, so, what made uh, was it? Your I know Richard kind of touched on this with his question, but um, was it was it the in terms of inspiration? Because uh, in terms of inspiration for writing that the, the book you've got in front of you, um, what was what did inspire you? Was it the was it what you went through? Was it the experiences? How, what 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 made you write? Actually, sit down and go. I want to write something. Well, in both um, uh, my writing for the group I lead and in my writing for publication, I uh, generally uh, uh, wait until I've got two seemingly disparate ideas and collide them together at high speed and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And in this case. Uh, the ideas were King Arthur and mental health. Yeah. And um, uh, I um, ended up producing a novel which is a retelling of the King Arthur story set in nightclubs. <laughs> Excellent. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds like a mesh I would be approved of. Uh, but yeah, so that sounds awesome. Um, so you were gonna, you you asked us, and we've crowbarred in some time for you to actually read something from your book. Um, so we're gonna do that uh, as the last part of of David. But thank you so much for agreeing to have a little chat with us. Um, sorry, it's not longer, thank but we're you. pressed for time. But yeah, so if you want to read your book, that would be awesome. Read a section from. Right. Uh, this is actually how it starts because. Um, uh, that seems like a place to start. And um, this is um, dealt from the point of view of the main character who at the moment is uh, developing into the Millen character and hasn't yet developed into the Lancelot character that he will also be later. But um, there are possibly elements of that still uh, already there. Uh, but... Um, at the moment, he is largely a young man with uh, a lot of potential, but still rather naive. Fantastic. The music resounding in the darkness of the bar, along with our drinks, 
was supposed to be getting us in the mood for dancing, but it was getting drowned out by a loud argument going on between a couple of heavies and our favourite DJ from the churchyard, the anvil. Huddling under a faded poster in the far corner, we could still hear it. Huddling in a dim little corner, I was told, was standard practice, as it was almost important to keep on obtrusive with our backs to a wall. It seemed to imply a level of paranoia that wasn't standard for me, but my comment was angrily taken as a success of erratic behaviour, and it took every bit of influence I could find to calm the situation down. I couldn't wonder for too long over how I'd done it, because even from crammed together in this corner, I could see our crowd getting anxious for the anvil. We didn't know his real name, at least I didn't. I just learned that he rocked. It was the same for some of us. Names just weren't the first part of our identities, at least our given names. The ones we gave ourselves could be, they said. All across the room, which I now saw was more extensive than I thought. In nearly every one of the disorienting corners in this place, I noticed people try not to look worried. None of the buzz of conversation gave it away. No one was willing to be on so own girl as to sound worried. This was something an outsider really could see. Years of observing from the fringe of their fringe let me see it in those of them, us, I told myself, less skilled at dissembling, and where there were some, there could be more. Now I thought was my chance to be more than observer, so I took it on myself to sort this out. And, um, well, you'll see if you buy the book whether he actually succeeds. <laughs> <laughs> what a great plug. I couldn't have done that any better. Well, a huge thank you, David. That was awesome. Um, that you, you that that made me in, that made me intrigued to buy it actually. Like, um, and it sounds a fantastic premise. So, thank you so much for coming in and, and chatting to us. I really appreciate it. And it's nice to see you. Uh, for I, I, nice to see. I was saying like uh, Bruce Forsyth there. Nice to see you. To see, no, but I mean, in, in all seriousness, it's really nice to see each other outside of outside a hospital and, and and seem to be doing well. So, so it's lovely to see you and thank you for coming in. Thank you, um, no problem. Uh, so we're, we've got to press on. So we've got a few more segments left to do. Uh, this next one. Uh, is with Steve, who's a regular contributor to the show. He talks to his mother um, about um, her experiences dealing with his, um, you know, his drug issues and his and how his recovery affected her, which is obviously useful from the perspective of a carer. Um, so we're going to do this. We're going to come back and quickly discuss that, and then we're going to play uh, Bill's Gateshead Clubhouse uh, opening as well uh, qu- quickly after that. So you listen to Mentally Sound with Gravity Radio. That was me talking to David. And this is Steve talking to his mother about his mental health issues. You're listening to Mentally Sound, Gravity Radio, North East. Driscoll and his mother. I'm actually Steve. And basically the idea of the interview is to get my mum's ideas of what it was like living with me when I had my mental health problems and I was abusing alcohol. So welcome, mum. Would you like me to call you mum or a biner for the interview? Don't call me a biner. I'll call you a biner then. Yeah. Um, So, Abina, could you just tell me, because I don't know, I was ill at the time, what was it like living with me, with my mental health problems? Well, uh, it was okay, because I didn't know any different. Um, I helped you out as good as I could. Um, So, how could... uh, Do you know when you're saying you helped me out, Mum? I mean, if I asked for money for a drink... Um, you gave me money for a drink, yes. but if you didn't give me money for a drink, that was just fueling me because I'd go out and 
get a drink from somewhere else. So that must have made you feel like uh, stuck in the middle, I would say. Yes, you say? yes, yes. And so now you see me today recovered or in recovery, as they say. Yeah. Can you see a big difference into the person I was before? Oh, a massive difference. So could you explain a few things? Because you were so down then. It was, and what was happening to you and what you were doing was, it wasn't real. But we got through it. Mm-hmm. And today, I think you're wonderful. You're, you're a fab son. So what do you think it is that makes me wonderful today? You've left all this behind. You've gone off the drink. You're, you've just clicked. You're doing all sorts of stuff. Around mental around, health. Yeah, that nobody, that loads of people can't do. But because you were there... And experienced it. Did, you're... You're so clever. So I suppose what you're trying to say now is I'm using all that badness and illness I had in the past to do something positive with it? Now, yes. And I mean, I have to admit to everybody listening, um, I talk about my mental health very openly and I can actually laugh about my past. And I mean, can you laugh about it now, ma'am? Now that you see what we're doing? Well, now, yes. Mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. And... um, is it taking a lot of pressure off you that yes. I'm not self-harming now, I'm not drinking alcohol? Oh, it's wonderful. I don't have to think at night, the phone going to ring and say there's something up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's great. Okay. Oh, yes, I feel, I'm so happy with you. And I would just like to say to anybody out there who has got um, mental health problems or alcohol problems, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but I think the only thing I could say to people is you've got to be strong and you've got to be yeah. determined. That's for sure. Because... As you know, ma'am, I did a week's detox and yeah. it was one of the hardest things Please. I ever did in my life. But if I had have been offered that detox a few years before, it wouldn't have been the it, right time. No. You know, the worked. time has got to be right for the That's person right. to want to recover. That's right. And I suppose all I can really say to people is I didn't realise when I was drinking and I had my mental health difficulties how much I was hurting the people around me. And I think today it just satisfies me just to see you with a smile on your face and seeing you with no problems. Oh, it's great. It's so good. But, I mean, you'll always talk about these times. But the thing is about your mental health and what you're doing now, you couldn't do it now if you hadn't been through that. So, you know, it's just... Definitely. Yeah. And you've turned a corner and it's just wonderful now. Okay, uh, thanks very much for speaking to us there, ma'am. And the idea of that interview was just to give people a bit of positivity that you can recover from things. I mean, I know when you're down in the dumps and you can't see a way out, you feel like the world's against you, everything's against you. But believe you me, I had them feelings and something clicked in my mind and told me you've got to either do something with your life or you won't be here to do anything with it. So thanks for speaking to us, ma'am. Okay, thank you, sir. Okay, thanks everybody. Help me, everybody. Well, not really, but you know, but uh, if you want to. Uh, but this, that was obviously the Beatles with help, and a huge thank you to Steve who did his. Uh, who interviewed obviously his mother talking about. It's very interesting uh, to obviously hear about you know the carer's perspective of dealing someone with mental health because I know that we talk about it from the perspective of the person suffering with mental health, but obviously um, you know hearing the other side of the the issue is also what we care about in terms of caring for a loved one. So I thought that was very useful. So huge thank you to Steve and all the stuff that he's done in terms of contributing. We're going to go swiftly.
you long because we're pressed for a bit of time. We want to have ch- time to chat at the end, me and Richard. So we're just going to play this next segment straight away. Now, Bill, who is a regular contributor to the, sh- to the show, uh, went to the Gateshead Clubhouse official opening and talked to several people from that uh, clubhouse um, to talk about, obviously, the opening of that, uh, of that and to talk about a variety of different things. So this is a really interesting interview and was done actually in the club itself, which I think is kind of cool. So, yeah, this is Bill talking to several members from the Gateshead Clubhouse official opening, and we'll be right back on Mentally Sound right here at Gravity Radio North East. We're at Gateshead Clubhouse, and they've just had their official reopening by the mayor. Um, what's his name again? Alex Gillis. Yeah, and I'm with T. Um, David and Alan from the clubhouse, and you're all. What, how are you? What, what we 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 all call ourselves members. That we're all we're all uh-huh. equal here. So yeah, so it's it's real peer support. This isn't it? We're talking about you. Yeah, you've worked long and hard, and you've brought all this together. So tell me how how you felt. It's just I mean, it's literally just finished. The mayor's not long gone, and you've had loads of people in. So. I think it went brilliantly. Um, we had a lot of people in. We reckon probably. 80 to 100 people wow. come in and that's people from all walks of life people who work at the Civic Centre people who work at the Trammell Unit which is a local inpatient unit um, a lot of members a lot of um, service users from other parts of the borough other uh, homes in the near area stuff like that um, and we also had relatives and friends of members mm-hmm. come along as well and obviously the guest of honour was the mayor and the mayoress, Alex and Frida Geddes. Mm-hmm. Um, we've known them for years. You know, Alex said in, in his speech, he started working at Coyle House, which was the local day centre, in 1980. Um, and he's just he's just been around. He, he's, he's a man that really cares. You know, mm. he's he, one of these funny little stories you'll tell is, you know, you know, I'm born to care, or he sometimes calls himself super carer extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think we acknowledged that today, and we gave him a small award to it was like right. a, like a um, like a glass star, uh-huh. you know, with with inscription on it. And we just think he's a fab person. He really mm. does care. He's done a lot for the clubhouse. Times when we've been Batting their heads against the council, trying to get work done. He, um, um, he's just got on the phone, rung somebody up. Within two hours, you've got work in there, you know. Wow. So, so he's he, done a lot of that. Sort so he of understands thing, mental health. And he's he's, quite, yeah. he's he, he does. He, yeah. he, he lives for mental health. I think. Yeah. So David, how how did you think it went today? It was a really good. It was a really good day. It was a fantastic day uh-huh. for for the members of the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. I bet you're tired, eh? No, I'm ready for a pint. <laughs> I'm tired and ready for a pint. <laughs> How are you felt today? How did it go for you? I think it went very well. Accessories, a lot of professionals and service users here. My own mum actually turned up the day as well. All right. Yeah, you she know. got a doggy bag for your dad. <laughs> yeah. um, I really enjoy it. I think people was really proud of the clubhouse for this day, you know, and I think uh, we'll go from strength to strength here. I think what we have to sort of... Um, Make make point of is the fact that first um, of October last year, when mental health concern left because we no longer had lot of funding, and we started doing things ourselves, we had forty odd members, and now we have well over a hundred, and then that's seven right. only in seven months or so, you know, seven uh-huh. or eight months, um, and and growing at that sort of level is just phenomenal, I think. It is remarkable, that it really is. 
and it's all user lads as we said earlier there are all staff we, we do everything ourselves we have a team of member reps mm-hmm. uh, about 12 of them and we take it in turns to make sure there's always at least two of us mm-hmm. in the building you mm-hmm. know for safety mm-hmm. and for our insurance policy obviously um, and we, we all get mm-hmm. on really well you know yeah mm-hmm. You're all bringing quite a range of skills, aren't you, to the, yeah. to the project? Yeah. Oh, plus, we have a good turnout out there by the top, the top mm-hmm. people as well. Mm-hmm. Derek Henderson uh, all coming up there from mm-hmm. the CCG and, all, and other people, uh, so it's been a good turnout. Mm-hmm. Great. I think it's been a very successful day mm-hmm. overall. You know? mm-hmm. Very good for the clubhouse as well, from what Yeah. And you know what they say, mental health. Put a buffy on, you'll always get a good crowd. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard that a lot of field workers will certainly turn up. And uh, but you, you've got great support, haven't you, generally now, right across the area? Because I think all the people who've been coming, who's coming today mm-hmm. are really impressed with the service, mm-hmm. and they're going to be referring as well. Yeah. The patients to the doctor's surgery, yeah. from the surgery to the clubhouse. Yeah, we've had the practice manager in from one of the local surgeries that a lot of people here use mm-hmm. and she she's I mean she's been she knows the building she, she's been before um, but she was she was absolutely bowled over by what we sort mm-hmm. of pulled out mm-hmm. and uh, I mean the lads were here oh, God knows when was it Monday night washing the floor and just doing all things you know like when you've got somebody special coming and you, you wash your windows and you make sure your beds are changed mm-hmm. and all that mm-m. and it was a bit like that it was it, it's sort of like um Chibi just alone to get tidied up and the floor got washed properly and <laughs> stuff and the toilet's got an extra special going over mm-hmm. um, and obviously the food is yeah. you know that well, you did you did a uh, large amount of the catering didn't you I would say virtually all the catering mm. yeah yeah, yeah. I, had, I had a little bit of help sort of like towards the lady from the doctor surgery this morning she basically she's already planning now for Christmas. Uh, to fetch the venue, the Christmas uh, party for the people back on the clubhouse Christmas Day. Yeah, that'd be good. That's and amazing. I've had four different people say that they want buffets doing, so yes. that's well, it's all business for the clubhouse, isn't it? And that's what we need to survive now because we, we don't have any sort of like proper funding. We get a little bit of funding, but not mm. much. Mm-hmm. I think it's Totally remarkable. <laughs> yes. I mean, Alan, you've got you've got a long history uh, with the services in Gator, haven't you? So you hospital, yes. You'll bring a lot of that experience in here. I am, yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I recognised obviously, like you say, I've been around a long time. Mm-hmm. Recognised a lot of people who turned up today as well, professional and service users, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, like from what I can gather, they all enjoyed themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, and. Thanks very much for sparing time, because you've got a lot of more work to do yet, haven't you? Thank you, Thank you, Thank you, A bit of Goo Goo Dolls there. Absolutely adore them. Uh, obviously, fantastic. It was give a little bit and huge thank you to Bill for going to Gateshead's opening, uh, uh, clubhouse opening. I hope you enjoyed that segment. Um, it was not, thank you so much for him to do that, and I hope you had a good time when he did it. Uh, as I say, we're pressed for time in this next particular segment. I really want to play because we want to give a shout out to Jules actually, because unfortunately Jules is not feeling well at all, um, and uh, he uh, he's been a regular guest on this show, uh, doing his poetry and obviously being a, a, a part of this team, and um, we we really hope he gets better uh, and. One of the things that Bill did uh, was this part of I know Wayne's off, but you can just nod. But this was part of your training, wasn't it? Yeah, because um, Wayne's, who's one of our producers, does a, a training course to help people get clam- clam- acclimatized to this. And um, they did this as a as a project, like a, a, a training thing. 
and um, it, they really enjoyed doing it. And I've listened back to it, and I can see why it's a really good, like, really sort of informal, casual, but to the point, talking about Jules, Jules' life and and how he copes with things. So I really want you guys to hear this. Um, and obviously, we're thinking of Jules in that time, so we're going to do that, and then we're going to come back, and Richard and I are going to have ten minutes to talk at the end because uh, we never normally get to do it when we're doing this show. So yeah, this is uh, Jules and uh, Jules and Bill talking about Jules' life story, as it were. And you're listening to Gravity Radio right here on Gravity Monthly Sound, sorry, Gravity Radio, Gravity Radio. You're listening to Gravity Radio, Gravity Radio Northeast. Yes, of course you are, of course you are, but Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. Thank you for listening, guys. Appreciate it. Good afternoon. Hello, Bill. We what can sit, I do for you? Where do we sit today, Jules? We sit in a very strange building. It's very hot, Bill. Very hot building, yeah. Uh, it's We're in Newcastle, fourth, I know that uh, much. Fourth place, it's called. Okay. Number 26. And it's... 26, and it's in June, I believe. June 2015. Wow. Do we have a date in June? No, 5th, I think. 5th of June. Okay. Oh, well, I'll get that down. Because uh, I've got a rotten memory. Have you? Oh, yeah. Why? So, anyway, not, this is not about me, this is about you. Oh. I want to find out about you. Go on, then. Uh, you what do you want to know? Have you travelled a long distance today? I have. I travelled... Wait. Theoretically, it takes me two hours on the bus. Uh, it started out today at... Five past twelve, and I got here at quarter past one because I caught the train as well. So I live oh, forty well. miles away yeah. in Crook. Yeah, it's in County Durham, and it's in the countryside. Mm, lovely over there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I put some effort in to get here mm-hmm. because you know what? what? I'm very strong believer in mental health, helping mm-hmm. people, compassionate person. Mm-hmm. That that's me in a, that's me in a nutshell. Mm, that's Ask me across. a question. Yeah. Ask me a question about that, and why I'll tell you, you why. Why? Yeah. Why? why? Because of my life history, man. I could talk all day, but we'll only, you know, mm-hmm. we can have another interview next time because you'll be that good. Uh, basically, I started off. Uh, I used to be. It's all mental health related, actually. When I look back on it, mental health wise, I got. A, you can't see listeners, but I got a bad eye because mm-hmm. I got. Um, mm. A lazy eye, what they call I was born with it. Squint. A squint. Mm-hmm. Astigmatism. A ptosis. Whatever word you want to use. Okay. I've had two operations on it, but I can't really see out of it. I, I can see, but I don't use it. So I used to get the Mickey tape out of me at school and everything. So that sort of started off the mental health side of it. Mm-hmm. Shy, you know, and bullying and all that. Uh, so initially when I was younger, I was like a bit sad about, you know, I wasn't a happy person. But I, I lived and then I got a... Mm. I had one uh, mental health episode at school. Too much trying to. What age was that? Bit? I'd be 14. Mm. Because um, what I say to people, if you set your, I'm one of these people who, who always goes for it. And if you set your goals too high, you're asking for trouble mental health wise because you can never actually do what you, you know, 100% can you? You can never, uh, yeah, well, mm-hmm. unless you're really. So what might be your most like ambitious a, goal then? Uh, my most ambitious goal, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I used to be the... Well, what had been? Well, I wanted to be all sorts of things. I wanted to be an international poet, and I kind of am, but I wasn't initially. But let me go back. Yeah, what no. happened, I, I worked, um, I came up here in uh, 1987, got a job uh, with the health service at Bishop General Hospital. Bishop Orton, which near Durham. Yeah. And I also, uh, as a planner, mm-hmm. like a kind of junior management, 
mm-hmm. uh, health authority level rather than hospital. And then uh, I had a terrible time in the job because I just got abused, did the job, and then my managers, I was good at what I did, but they were getting, you know, I was working for them, they were getting all the money and I was getting all the stress. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ended up me having a brain hemorrhage. Wow. So when you say you're abused, do, do you mind if I ask you what that was about? Well, yeah, I was a trade union rep for a year, uh-huh. and uh, I was doing my job. They wanted to be a trade union rep. They wanted me to do a job. They asked me to be a trade union rep, and then when I did, so I'm the kind of person I'm. Uh, I like to do different things. I mean, we all do, don't we? Yeah, don't. We? Yeah. Very uh, much so, yeah. You know, life is not about routine, is it? Am I right on that? Mm, no, it's not. No. Well, you're not making the most if you just do the same thing all the time. That's what mm. I'm trying to say. Some people need routine because it helps them get through. We talk mental health here again. Mm. Uh, actually, routine for people who are ill gives them a structure in life. Mm-hmm. But uh, not for me. When you say you came mm. up here to Bishop, mm-hmm. uh, where did you come up from? I'm. Uh, I'm from. Uh, I was actually born in Wales. Wales. I'm putting on my Welsh accent now. Wales. <laughs> uh, um, I was born on a farm in. Um, Near Carmarthen. Mm-hmm. Carmarthen. What kind of farm? And we had sheep and hay and a big mountain. The sheep used to graze on the mountain in the summer. Didn't get the accent right. I'm, I'm losing it because I'm, I'm very confused because I've got a Brummie accent and a Geordie accent and a Welsh accent. I can I get confused. Um, I lived there for seven years. My mum and dad were from Birmingham. My mum missed Birmingham and my family, so we had to move back. But I could have been in Wales, so I could not have been here. Can I just, That's can I just yeah, stop you Yeah, of course you can. Did you say someone missed Birmingham? That's going for it. Yeah, I know, my mum, no, she missed her family. Nobody oh, okay. missed Birmingham. Apart from Carol, my friend who's <laughs> not in the room. Um, yeah, she she loved Birmingham. I'm being she loved Home. I'm being facetious because I used to work in Birmingham. Did you? Well, oh, yeah. for a Birmingham company, rather. Oh. Anyway, let's yeah, not let's digress. Back to me. Yeah, 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 back to you. I moved to Birmingham when I was seven, and I was educated there. Um, had a grammar school, so I'm educated. But I was, I was the odd one out there as well because I, I'm a compassionate person, and most people that go to grammar school aren't. Mm-hmm. So I learned to stand up for myself. You know, I was like the only one against the Falklands War, for instance, because I thought it was stupid. Uh, then I came to college in Newcastle, and that's why I'm here, really. I went I'm to an environmental studies degree. I'm a scientist, but I'm not. I'm an artist, as you will find out later. Um, what an interesting blend. Eh? Interesting blend. Yeah, man. I didn't know really. The problem there was I really, I really, I think, I don't know what you felt like when you were younger, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had no just, idea. So I still it's don't. a bit confusing, isn't it? Yeah. So you just... Something happens, you just do it. Uh, so, where were I? Oh, yeah, I, I couldn't get a job. I got a degree here, but it was in Maggie Thatcher's time, and I was unemployed for two years. Went back to Birmingham, mm-hmm. and my claim to fame is that I made 498 job applications before I got a job. Okay. And I was very angry, because I didn't make it that last two. <laughs> Maggie Thatcher. <laughs> I had temporary jobs. I worked in an insurance company claims department and I got a temporary job working for West Midlands Regional Health Authority and after I got the experience then I could apply for health jobs. That's mm-hmm. what happened. Mm-hmm. 
and I got a job up here in Bishop. Uh, That's a remarkable background. And I've got two children. That's a yeah. How old are they? Um, my daughter's 16. She's just doing her exams. Mm-hmm. And my son is 21. We could talk a whole interview on my son. She has epilepsy mm-hmm. and mental health. So, but that's separate. I've got lots of experience in mental health though, because I, I, as I had a brain hemorrhage. Uh, that's interesting for the viewers, the listeners to know about because uh, that was stress related because they told me on a Friday afternoon that I was losing my job, and they're saying we'll have, we'll have you in onto the you know whatever mm-hmm. disciplinary panel on Monday morning at nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. What sort of organisation does that? Only the health service. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I was worried because I had a one-year-old baby and I had a mortgage. And I only had four can bottles of special brew in an hour. Never touch the stuff. It's lethal. Mm. Uh, alcohol's not the answer. That's another a good point to make here. It's not the sole answer anyway. So I like to socialise. doesn't help you relieve your problems though, does it? No. Um, so was this an aneurysm sort of thing? Yeah. yeah. I, what yeah. happened is I, I was basically sick all night. And uh, the pressure uh-huh. on my head uh-huh. and uh, the artery went. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was. Uh, very painful though. It's a unique pain. And I went to the GPs. Possibly, I would think it would be on the same day, two hours afterwards. Or bearing in mind, I had to go to the interview at nine o'clock as well. So I got a brain image when I had this counselling thing. A scum. I'm allowed to say scum is not a bad word. Um, um, I feel stronger than that about it, actually. Um, and I went to the doctors, and he said, "Go home and take two aspirin. And you'll be all right in the morning." And my bum accent came out there because I got a bit excited. Uh, and so I had a brain hemorrhage for 13 days. So blood was seeping into my brain for 13 days. Why am I here? Yeah, exactly. How are you? Yeah. How am I? I don't ask that question because it's a bit. Wow. It's a, there's no answer. But um, yeah. No, it's because we've lost a friend in the last week uh, through. Oh. Yeah, one of our oh. friends. Yeah. How old? Uh, Forty-seven, and she. You all may have heard of her, um, Jackie Fielding, who worked with Sean Byrne on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what, was was what was the reason? What was the reason? Brain hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't did, know. did they see you come in or not? No, not at all. Just yeah, instantaneously. Yeah. In the middle of, in, yeah. Sorry, I'm digressing, but it's just the the shock of that and hearing what you've been through kind of yeah. makes it very real. Did she did she die straight away though? No, no. That's even no. worse. No. I would like to die of a brain hemorrhage if it was because inst- it does happen instantaneously. It's like yeah. a heart attack, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I guess. But. Uh, I was very fortunate in that the side effects that I had, I mean, I could have had anything happen to me. Mm-hmm. I could not be walking or anything. Absolutely. So, um, to die Oh, thank God you survived. Yeah. And that is why I'm compassionate, actually, because the mm. only reason, well, not the only, it's in my genes anyway, mm. for people who saved my life at Newcastle General, and I mean everybody, including the porters and the cooks and everybody, the same, well, get emotional now. Those five days that I was in a coma, because I didn't see anybody, I was in a coma, they opened me up and they, they deserve so much respect and I do everything I do for them, really, in their name, in their memory anyway. And I go and see them periodically and say, I'm here, thank you for them, and I'm doing this and that, and here's mm-hmm. the point. Mm-hmm. 
which we haven't asked me about yet. That's the next question, is it? Well, what, uh, what are you telling me to ask you about next? Well, now, after that, uh, in my life, I was, um, I lost my job, and the union did nothing to get it back. Made, I was made redundant because I was in a mental hospital. Right. For six months, and they actually made me redundant while I was in there, which is illegal. Well, they didn't think it was illegal, but it is. So they weren't expecting me to raise it because the Disability Discrimination Act had just come out. And when you're mentally, have mental health issues, you're, one thing you're definitely not is assertive, so you can't stand up for yourself. Fortunately, I'm, once I'm better, I can, and I always do. But obviously, at the time, I couldn't. But I asked my union to help me. Now, bearing in mind, I was a trade union rep for them for a year, and they were partially the cause of it. They said, no, we don't think you can win. Oh. Go away. Huge thank you to Jules there. Sorry, we had to cut it off ever so slightly because we are a little bit pressed for time. But um, so we'll, um, I'll make sure that we um, we will play the f- to, to combat that with the uh, with the podcast. I always put the the full segments in, so we'll make sure we put it in the full podcast as a, as a compromise. Uh, but what I wanted to do is because we're pressed for time, is uh, we wanted to have actually some time at the end. Uh, to talk to Richard because obviously being a huge thank you for him being co-host for this for, for uh, this very podcast. Um, do you, first of all, have you enjoyed the experience, Richard? I suppose. Oh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it's uh, it's completely new and uh, it's been really good. Sort of uh, the in- the interaction actually that's been off air has been uh, has been really interesting <laughs> as well. So uh, yeah, um, appreciate you inviting me on. I really do. Thanks. That's awesome. And thank you so much for doing it. Um, I've really enjoyed. It's been you've been great. Um, so thank you so much for doing it. So we've got an, we've got a few minutes now to kind of talk to amongst ourselves, which is good because I feel like you know with with having a bunch of live guests and segments, we don't get the opportunity to talk to you in depth. Yeah. In depth. So you know, and obviously we can say bye at the end. So um, there's something we touched on in relation to we, we've said we've talked about this a lot off air uh, during the during the segments is to talk about what you think in in regards to you know we we're talking about the the the, the, the small age difference, but I think. A Pernient one uh, between m- myself and you, for example, and, and and what was it like for you with the because you t- talked about being diagnosed with depression. So what was it like for you growing up, and 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 also uh, as a counter, another part of that question is what was it like for you telling people? Like was that a separate thing in ta- in, 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 in yeah. at all? Um, mm. uh, growing up was was, was slightly unusual um, uh, because I actually grew up living. In the school that I attended, because my uh, my dad was a, a schoolmaster. All oh, right. Um, so I never actually went home because school and home were the same thing. Um, so it was it was a, an unusual um, an unusual upbringing. Um, my, my parents, you know, couldn't have, have done more for me. They were, you know, they were and are um, absolutely fantastic. But um, I spent a lot of time sort of on my own, quite introverted, not really being able to sort of go out and. Uh, and socialised with everybody else who had a normal home to go to when yeah. my home was actually still part of the school. Yeah. Um, and probably it, w- it wouldn't have been until I, I reached my 40s when I was actually diagnosed with depression that a lot of the feelings and thoughts that uh, that I was able to, um, to, to explain to, to a GP um, actually tied in with the, the same feelings and thoughts I had when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, but in those sort of days, you know, we're, we're going back to the late 70s, early 80s, and it, you just got on with it. Um, you know, mental health wasn't anything that was, was openly discussed or probably um, particularly well understood by by the generation as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you put it down to the fact that, well, you've just got to be a little bit stronger, you know, um, don't don't give away any weakness, any emotion, and uh, 
and just get on. Um, and the emotion then would always come out in those quiet moments when there was nobody else around. Yeah. Um, I had a great habit for playing music that would uh, that w- that would get me go- <laughs> get me, <laughs> make me burst into tears in in no time at all. But it it, it the, the emotion had to come out somewhere. So yeah, that's very fa- that's very interesting because that's something I find myself. Um, you know, I, I, the word I often use whenever I feel like overwhelmed is is dread, mm-hmm. and I think it's such a poignant word. Like it, the, the dread that I feel sometimes, and you're so spot on when you say. Um, it's about sort of getting the emotion from inside you and, and out and, yeah. and, and free, as it were, because it just feels like you're sort of chained by it. Um, so as you say, I kind of, even if it, I watch the most, what, ironically, the most depressing thing when I'm depressed, but as a way of kind of feeling something and feeling some sort of, emo- like, a, 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 like just to get my emotions out there. Yeah. So kind of just let it, let, let go, whatever the... Uh, the whatever platform the, scene in the railway children gets me every time. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just, even if it's just like for me, if it's just like a, a I don't know, like like Data dying in Star Trek Nemesis or something, I don't know, but like or, or or even something like I don't know, like the end of Shawshank Redemption or something like that or whatever, you know, just whatever, whatever, whatever comes to mind of something where I go, yeah, that's gonna get me the emotion I feel that I need to get over yeah. this and but, but coming uh, more up to date, Steve, the, yeah, uh, actually being able to speak about it now, um, it, it does bring things back and it, and it actually does create maybe sort of uh, emotional side issues where you're actually reliving things that, that actually, you know, are, are long since gone. Um, but uh, I, I've actually just in the last couple of weeks um, sat down with my colleagues at work who've been incredibly supportive through uh, a relatively difficult few days. Yeah. And actually told them to their face, well, I, I tried to tell them to their face, I looked at the, at the floor more often than I looked at them, but actually explained to them what, what the issue actually was. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do that, in front of people who you work with and don't necessarily know all that well is a really difficult thing to do. Um, but it was absolutely the right thing to do. And uh, the support that I had and the understanding that they now have um, means an awful lot to me. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the whole part of getting involved with Time to Change and working with Mind last year was actually to be able to share what experience I, experiences I have, albeit that there will be people who've had more extreme and, and, and experiences that have been harder to deal with um, but these are mine, mm-hmm. and so at the end of the day, somebody somewhere will uh, will understand and hopefully uh, f- gain some strength and be able to go and talk, uh, be it to a family friend or, or a GP, but actually make some positive progress because of it. Yeah, I think I think that's a great way of ending the show. Really, is to say that because because even I, I mean, I'm 27, and and even I've noticed in the time, you know, because I I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder at like 16, so. You know, I, and, I, and I've obviously dealt with it a lot longer without realizing. And and even I, in the short period of time that I've been alive, as relatively speaking, is that um, I've even noticed the difference in the, the fact that you're allowed to talk openly yeah. about it. Like, and 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 I think one of the things that maybe that we make the mistake of as people who suffer with mental health is maybe we talk about how difficult it is and how that no one listens whereas if you put things in a perspective, which I know is very hard for for people with mental health to do is that the progression we've made in in a short space of time relatively speaking is is better than it was so maybe if we focus Absolutely. on that yeah. rather than going oh not like there's a majority still the majority of people don't listen but a small number are creeping up every so often and stuff like this i think does make a difference yeah. um and so you're you're absolutely spot on in saying that like you know w- even people who suffer mental health 
wouldn't talk to other people who suffered mental health because they feel it was the stigma to even talk about themselves whereas look at us now me and you are, yeah. are, are talking about our own experiences the, the and we're not that, going how dare you or whatever you exactly know? the fact that mental health can affect you is one thing that's yeah. fine but it doesn't have to control you or define you and yes for, for me that is the that is a the fundamental extent of uh, of the path that i've taken and yeah. I'm re- you know i'm in a really good place fantastic and also it is also part of us as well that's something i always say it, it, it doesn't define us but it's no, part of us absolutely. um fantastic that's a great way of ending uh huge thank you richard it's been a pleasure um you're welcome back anytime um, and uh, thanks a lot um what i will do is to mention very quickly before we go we're going to play a song to play us out but i just want to say a um, quick shout out to next week's shows uh, we're going to obviously play John Law as part three of his of his uh, NTW interview with uh, Becky and Victoria. Um, and I, I forgot to mention, I got told to mention this, is that um, NTW has produced some self-help, uh, self-help guides, 23 of them, around a range of uh, common mental health uh, conditions such as depression, self-harm, stress, shyness, and a bunch of other stuff, disor- uh, disorders as well, uh, a bunch of dis- different types of disorders. And you can get them for free by going on the NTW website, and um, they asked me to, to mention that, so I think it's a good way of ending the show to mention that you should go there. To find out how to go there, if you just type in NTW self-help into Google or any, any other search engines are available, uh, um, is you can find all the information on that but uh thank you so much for listening to mentally sound show five please tune in next next time we are on second wednesday second wednesday of every month here on uh, gravity radio northeast so please do uh two till four every fr- on a friday um, and um so please do uh, ch- listen to us then for the next show but on behalf of me Stephen, and everyone at the studio richard wayne and everyone else thank you for listening and to play us out this is brian adams with run to you thanks guys have a great weekend